Well, that was cool. Geraldo is really good, isn't he? Yeah. So, um, things you should know, there's a bunch of numbers up there. 422 cars went through Live Nativity over the two days, which is fantastic. And some of them came a couple times, which is great which equaled 1,423 different people. Um, and again, fantastic group of folks. And uh, 13 plus, that's a good number, uh, of dogs. That's how many dogs. Um, and I know it's plus because I was the one greeting out in the, at the very beginning. There were a lot of dogs. So we're going to add dog treats to the list of things to pass out because, you know, the bank hands out dog treats and we got to be better than the bank. So, 113, this is a very important, very important number, 113 investors. We call, some call them volunteers, but they're investors, people that helped out in some way, shape, or form to help put on live nativity, 113 different people. And some people were here all day prepping, some people were here all day on different days, some people were here just during the three hours that it was going on, whatever it took. It happened, and um, I will tell you that whatever it took, it happened, because there were, there were absences, there were holes to fill 10 minutes before it started, and it happened, so um, it was fantastic. Um, 1,200, that's a good number, it's probably, that's a give or take of, uh, that's how many pounds of food were donated by people that came in that will go to the Salvation Army, which is fantastic. 1,848 and change is how much money was donated uh, from people that will go towards the uh, Salvation Army as well. So um, that's fantastic. And the number one, what can you guess? One. Well, we did have one cow. You're right. One God that we serve that his gospel was shared to 1,423 people in a very unique way, and, um, and it took 113 people who care about taking the name of Jesus to our community. And I cannot thank you enough, Terry and Everett, thank you, but to all of y'all who helped out to serve meals and make cookies and stand in the cold weather because it was cold. Right, Most of you have thought out, um, and we tried to make it warm in here today so you didn't fear that. Um, and again, if you need hot, hot chocolate that's left over from last night, get you some, even while I'm talking. And uh, I appreciate uh, everything. It's a huge deal, and uh, that is the goal, because our mission is leading others into a grace-filled relationship with Jesus Christ. And so everything that we do should be geared towards doing that. And uh, for six hours this week, what was it? Four? How much? 233 people an hour heard the gospel. They witnessed the gospel unfold in front of their eyes. If we could do that all year long, we'd reach the world pretty fast, wouldn't we? Um, we'd all be really tired, too, because I feel like I get hit by a train. But, uh, and I did, all I did was stand out there and say, welcome. So, well, um, Merry Christmas, right? 
Today we have the little quiz to take, uh, and uh, let's see if you know your fears. These might not be specific to you, but um, there's poll according to Gallup, because um, they take polls all the time. These are the top eight fears that people have. And um, I'll give you the fear, you tell me what it means, all right? Aerophobia, aerophobia, fear of flying, that's right. 18% of people have the fear of flying. That's number eight. We'll go in descending order because, you know, that's how we build up to things, right? Got to get excited. Here's a good one, musophobia. If you go to Orlando, you'll not like this one. Musophobia, fear of mice. Yeah, 20% of people have a fear of mice. Um, I had to practice these. They're not easy. Trypanophobia. I will tell you, trypanophobia. Over the last few years, there are a lot of people that have had this fear. And I say that very tongue-in-cheek. All right. It's a fear of needles. It's a fear of needles, getting shots, right? 21% of people have a fear of needles, trypanophobia. This is an easy one, arachnophobia. Yeah, yeah, spiders, they're gross. Claustrophobia. Yeah, small, enclosed spaces. 34% of people have uh, fear of, of claustrophobia. Acrophobia. 36% of people have acrophobia. It's a fear of heights. Not falling. I have a fear of falling. I don't fear being high up. I just fear falling off of things high up. Um, here we go. This is number two. Glossophobia. Glossophobia. I'm actually doing it right now. Many of you would not want to. 40% of people have a fear of speaking in public. Right? And we uh, have Miss um, Cheryl here to help us break all of those fears, which is good. And then the last one, and I feel 51% of people, and I've, I think this is low, but 51% of people have ophidiophobia. Ophidiophobia. It's a fear of snakes. Now, this is not accurate. It's twice that. 102%, that's my poll, 102% of people fear snakes. All, I mean, they, whether you like them or not, that's a different story, but you all fear them, right? So that's just an overview of different fears, right? And if you break it down, different people fear different things. Uh, according to, again, to the same study, Gallup tells us, for example, that women fear mice 27% more than men do. Just the way it works. Um, I didn't make this up. So both men and women fear needles about the same, within less than a percent. So that's a, that's a level one. But men fear going to the doctor about 20% more than women do, which I can attest to. I, I agree. I don't like going to the doctor either. So um, the, you can break it down. Uh, if it's different groups, like age groups, remember when you were a kid, you feared things differently, right? Um, fear of the dark, okay? Kids fear the dark more than adults do. Uh, kids fear being alone more than adults do, although that creeps into adulthood too, right? The fear of imaginary monsters. 
is a thing for kids. Right? Don't let your hand flop over the side of the bed, right? Because it'll get you. And if I do that, the, the monster on the side of the bed will lick my hand because <laughs> the dog will get you. And it's gross. Then there's common things that kids and adults have. They both fear needles, again. Okay, kids don't like getting shots. Amen, parents. Um, Bugs, nobody likes bugs. And then, of course, snakes. Because nobody likes snakes. 102%. That's, anyway, it's kind of fun. But it contributes to the deeper issue of of the heart, right? That fear is real, right? We all, have, we all fear something. Uh, there's things, there, we fear things that we see as dangerous to ourselves, right? Things that can cause us pain, we fear those things, right? We, uh, things that we see as a threat to our well-being, we don't want to be a part of that. So we, and we can fear them. We don't, we we don't want to see it. And a lot of these fears, they're, um, they're learned. They're learned fears because we get into something, um, but maybe uh, we like it for a while, but then a dog bites us, and it hurts. And so we, don't, we fear dogs after that. And then um, there's other fears that we have that are taught. And as a parent, I can, I can, uh, I'm guilty of this, but... As a parent, you protect your kids from a lot of things, right? And rightfully so. But it can teach your kids to fear those things. So a lot of fears can be taught. No matter how it happens, though, fear exists in our lives. And it always has. So over the last three weeks during Advent, we've talked a lot about hope. And, uh, and the different characteristics that hope has in our lives. Hope is faith in action, that faith and hope go hand in hand, and that hope is always looking to the future because we never hope for things that have already happened, do we? Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. Hope is built on faith in Christ. Hope is wrapped in waiting. We talked about that last week. And today, we look at one more thing that hope is for us. Hope is stronger than our fears, even our fear of snakes. So all, all throughout Scripture, we have the presence of fear, okay, uh, from the very beginning. Uh, the kids read it today. It was fear not, right? And uh, it's apparent because 365 times in Scripture, you will see, and it's kind of depending on your translation, but you will see the, the phrase, fear not. So that means fear is around, correct? Or do not be afraid. That's another way of expressing it. And most of the time, that expression comes from God or God's representative, like the angel of the Lord. We'll see that in just a minute. And and it's meant to put whoever they're talking to at ease because obviously they are in a fear. And uh, we see it when we meet the young couple that would be Jesus' parents, right? Mary and Joseph. We see one of these times where fear is being relieved. And today we'll be um, just hanging out in the book of Luke for a little bit, in Luke chapter 1. So if you want to find that in your scriptures, you can. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, if you have an uh, electronic device, Luke chapter 1. And um, the, the girls today, they, wrote, they read from Luke chapter 2, and it was awesome. And they did a great job, didn't they? And uh, we're going to kind of do a little backtrack, some of the, the prequel, if you will, of Jesus' 
life being uh, time being born and and uh, we see how the angel of the Lord uh, Gabriel comes to Mary in cha uh, chapter 1 verse 26 and so we'll read just uh, four verses today in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David the virgin's name was Mary the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at the words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid or fear not. So the visit from Gabriel was an unexpected one, right? And what's the typical reaction to something that's unexpected? Fear. Yep. When uh, a visit from Gabriel, uh, he's an angel. She figured that one out pretty fast, I think. And when an angelic being shows up unannounced right in front of you and starts to talk to you, and I would assume this greetings, you know, it's probably not something that he just kind of whispered. You know, he was probably excited because Gabriel got to give some really good news. And so it was out of nowhere. Her response, again, would probably be what? Fear. Huh? Yeah, she probably freaked out just a little bit. And so uh, Gabriel tells Mary, fear not. Just don't be afraid. You found favor in the eyes of God. This is going to be a good thing. I promise you. And then Gabriel goes on to explain what's going to go down in Mary's life. He says, you're going to have a baby. Okay, well, there's grounds to be in fear again, right? If you've ever been a first-time parent, you get it. And this would have been a first time for Mary. So fears, I'm going to have a baby. All things that surround, uh, all the things that surround this first time, being a first-time mom, she would have been, um, she would have, all those things would have started going through her mind. And then in, in verse 32 and 33, Gabriel starts to tell Mary all about what's going to happen with her, her baby. And we read, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the, give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, no pressure, Mary. Your son's going to be the king of the world. All right. Okay. Um, you know, that probably would cause a little fear in her heart, too. I hope I don't drop him. I hope I don't lose him. Oh, she did one time. We read about that later. But, you know, hope the hope of all your people um, rests in you, Mary. Uh, so, fear not. It's going to be okay. But here's Mary's response, and it's a good one, okay? Mary's response is this. Although initially it was probably fear, like getting over the whole angel thing, coming down, um, popping in and um, visiting her and talking to her, uh, hearing that she's going to be a mom for the first time and all the circumstances that surround that and um, you know, not knowing what Joseph would think of those things and all of, all of those uh, issues. Um, she has a lot of unknown, and we fear the unknown, don't we? we? We fear not knowing what's going on in our lives in the future, 
And uh, the unexpected nature of the angel showing up would just give her fear in general. But her, her fear was not in the message that the angel was delivering. And that's important. Because we've talked about all these by faith people in Hebrews chapter 11 for the last few weeks. Mary was not intimidated by the message that she was being given. In verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. She's like, okay. She's saying, God, let's do this. It's out of my hands, right? Obviously. But both her hopes of becoming a mother, her hopes, and her fears of becoming a first-time mother of the Messiah, mind you, pretty big deal, um, they were met in that encounter, and they were met in Jesus' birth that night in, in, in the stable. So her hopes and her fears were all realized right there. In 1865, a fellow by the name of Philip Brooks, he, uh, he wrote the lyrics to a very popular Christmas carol. And uh, he, was, he was the rector of Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And in August of 1865, the, uh, the uh, church decides to send him on uh, somewhat of a sabbatical, an educational trip around the world. Which, uh, no pressure, I, it is almost Christmas time, so you could do that for your pastor too. Um, uh, but, I mean, anyway. Uh, but they were going to renew and refresh, and his travels took him through all sorts of spots in Europe. But in December, he finds himself in the Holy Land. And Christmas Eve finds him in the little town of Bethlehem. Go figure. And he goes to the assumed place that Jesus was born. And he visits the assumed place of the nativity. And he, he rides out into a field where they, they feel like that's where the shepherds were. When the, and ironically enough, that's, there were shepherds there when he arrived. So that was kind of cool for him. And he experienced a live nativity, if you will, because he was there. And all of Scripture to Philip Brooks began to unfold. And, and I think that, you know, this visual experience, this emotional experience, and a spiritual experience that he had, it set in stone a significance of the birth of ho and the hope of all mankind coming to earth for Philip Brooks. And I think that if you and I were in Bethlehem this Saturday night on Christmas Eve, we would probably experience the same thing, don't you think? Because it just, it's something that leaps off the page. It becomes more than just words in, a, in, in our scripture when you're there. And it, it would be powerful, right? And it would be life-changing in our, in our lives as well. And so three years later, it, it's still sticking in, in, in Philip Brooks's heart, and he writes these words, O little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shines the everlasting light. The hopes and dreams of all, uh, the hopes and fears of all the years were met in thee tonight. 
It's a great Christmas carol, right? The tempo of the song, like the, the musical part, it's kind of weird. It's a little off. It's unlike a lot of Christmas carols, you know. It's not very upbeat. It's kind of slower. It's uh, not as lively. And as a kid, I, probably one of my least favorite Christmas carols. And it sounds like it was written in the rain or like they were in the middle of the night and really sleepy. It's just like dreary-ish. But that's the idea. That's when Jesus was born, in the middle of the night. It kind of makes sense now. And after knowing more about the story, it really helps to understand how the song was written, why the song was written, and the words. So I think that it helps amplify how great um, these lyrics are that Philip Brooks wrote and how he experienced it in life. So the power of that last line is where we're going to hang out a little bit. The hopes and fears of all the years were met in thee tonight. All the years. That sets the tone. All the years. What was he talking about? First, all the hopes of all the years. We've talked about for the last few weeks uh, kind of at length. Uh, leading up to Jesus' birth, um, over, over time, um, how long it took for Jesus to get here to earth. How many? 42 generations. About 1,500 years from God's promise to Abraham to Jesus' arrival in the stable. So you can read through that genealogy if you want, if that's the kind of person you are, you like history, or if you want to go to sleep really fast and you like just reading who's dad and grandpa, who's related to who. In, in the first book of the New Testament, in, in Matthew, you can just read who Jesus' greatest, great, 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 42 generations of great-grandparents are, all the way back to Abraham. And that's how we... You know, that's how the, the New Testament is structured. This is how we're going to lead off 400 years of silence, and we're going to have the genealogy of Jesus right out the gate. And Philip Brooks writes about all the hopes of all of those years that they spent, and he's referring to this long-awaited time for the Messiah, 1,500 years that people um, journeyed in hope for the one they thought would be their Savior. And so much turmoil that they endured, right? They were conquered. The Israelites, they were conquered. They were exiled. They rebuilt. And then they messed it up again. And they went back into slavery. This roller coaster of ups and downs. And all these multiple times of following God and then falling off and doing their own thing and following God and being in slavery. And finally... Um, their hopes of, uh, of the one that would deliver them, the, the, as Philip Brooks wrote, was met in thee, in Jesus, that night. So that's the hopes of all the years. The fears, the fears of all the years were met as well. Think about the generations of fear that the Israelites endured, right? We talked about slavery and all those things and being ex exiled. But, you know, they, they, had, a, they had a giant they had a giant in front of them one time, the Israelite army did, threatening them and saying, come on out, let's go, let's fight. And that, that place in 1 Samuel 17, 11, it said they were terrified. The whole army was terrified of one guy that was nine feet tall, right? Big dude. 
and Goliath scared them. There was this place. They were scared. They had fear of a place called Jericho. And they walked, they go across the Jordan River. They, they spent 40 years in the wilderness, 20 years longer than they should have, probably because of a place like Jericho. They feared this big walled city that was un- impregnable, undefeated in, in battles. They could not overcome it. They feared it. And all they had to do was walk around it. But they didn't know that at the time. So years of oppression and slavery and all these things wrapped up into one. All during this waiting period of hopes for a Messiah. But it also led to their fears. Their fears on that Christmas night in Bethlehem were met in Jesus as well. So holding on for hope for so long, for 1,500 years prior to Jesus' birth, there was hope for a Messiah. They just knew. They knew that God was going to keep his promise. And all the time between the Garden of Eden, when sin enters the world, and Bethlehem, it's, it's stocked full of events that, that are there to prepare the world for God's chosen people, the Messiah, to arrive. And the time between sin entering the world and Jesus' arrival being fulfilled um, and his purpose for is, is uh, and Jesus arriving uh, to begin his purpose for, uh, for the world, it, it's the hope that we all have. It, it's why he came and it's why they all hope because he was the one that was going to save them all. And hope was from it was all God's people had at that point. And it arrived when Jesus arrived. And it was centuries of hoping for that just one thing. Have you ever hoped for just one thing for that long? But then came, then came an angel to an unwed teenage girl. And then came an angel to an unwed aspiring carpenter. And what was the message? Well, the first one was, fear not. That, that message was sent to both Mary and Joseph. Fear not, okay? You're going to be fine. Then came a decree for a census to be taken from a king of this world. All part of the plan, right? And then came a journey with a nine-month pregnant woman on a donkey bouncing around. Then came a star and the heavenly hosts. And what was the message for the shepherds when they got to the heavenly ho- from the heavenly host? What was it? Fear not. Okay? Yeah, fear not. And then we fast forward after, after the manger, we fast forward 33 years to a, to a hillside just outside of Jerusalem on a Friday afternoon. Less than five miles from the stable where he was born, okay, where hope arrived on the earth. Hope leaves the earth when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross. Hope was sealed in a tomb. Now, all that waiting, can you imagine? All that waiting, those people were so excited. 
the week before, he, he rides into town and they're saying, Hosanna. And I know we talk about this at Easter time, and, and we should. But they're so excited for the Messiah. They think he's the one. And he dies. And hope is sealed in a tomb. And every fear that they have is very real at that point. For three days, there was zero hope in the world. And hope and fear is something that they have, we, they have in common. It's one thing, okay? Our hopes and our fears are both something that haven't happened yet. We, we don't fear things that have already happened to us. We, we hope for things that haven't. We don't hope for things that have already happened to us. But the resurrected Christ is real. And our hopes and our fears are met in that resurrection. We're, we're met in that resurrection Sunday. And that's our hope. That's where we are looking towards. And that's the reason for Christmas. The baby was born. The baby Jesus was born with the sole purpose to give life to this world. The, the Christmas is a season of hope, no doubt. And we've talked about it for almost a month now. And we look forward to uh, the expectation. This whole week is being filled with expectation. The kids will be out of school at some point. I don't know when, but Wednesday, right? It'll be a while. We, we go to school like right up until Christmas, it seems like. Um, but we'll get out of school, and there's lots of expectation of what's going to go on, our traditions, right, the fun things that we do, and the family time, and the gift-giving, it's great, but we, we look forward to Jesus' birth and the hope that that provides in all of our lives because we know the end of the story. We know. We can fast forward to the end of the book. We know the hope that Jesus provides for us. And, you know, so Christmas is a time of hope for sure. And hope, it, it represents a lot of things in our lives. But we know that, that we know that hope is stronger than our fears. But Christmas is also a time of fear for a lot of us. That we lament the potential of facing maybe the fact that a family member is not going to be around this year that was there last year for whatever reason. Maybe they've passed, maybe they've moved on, maybe for whatever reason. It happens in a lot of ways. Uh, we lament the, the facing of job issues that, were, that are ahead of us. Yeah. And maybe it's because of our own doing, or maybe it's because we, we just have taken time, and we know that, well, I got Christmas break, but I got to go back. And I don't want to. And it ruins your, your time with the family and the traditions and the focus on what Christmas is about. Maybe it's the financial issues that you're facing, possibly because of Christmas time and the gift giving and those things. It's, it's possible. Maybe there's turmoil in your life that you lament facing in your future, possibly that you created. We do that, right? Because we're not perfect. Um, but that's where we live, you and I. We live our lives in this world at the intersection of hope and fears. And so we have to ask ourselves, what do you fear besides snakes? Because 102% of people fear snakes. 
And we talked about it at the beginning. There's a lot to fear in this world, isn't there? It's, it's how people get elected sometimes. It's how uh, messages are, are presented. Fear is a tool in this world. And, and so fear is, is incredible, um, incredibly present in this world. So what do you fear? Is it failure? You fear failure, right? That maybe you'll, fear, you'll fail as a spouse. Maybe you fear that you'll fail as a parent. Amen? Yeah. Maybe you'll, fear, uh, you'll fail as a Jesus follower, that you're going to let Jesus down in whatever aspect of your relationship with him. Do you fear the future? Maybe you, uh, maybe you don't know what comes next, and that's scary to you. Maybe your life seems in order, but your heart's uneasy about your eternal future and your relationship with Jesus Christ and where that will put you in eternity. And maybe it's more important that we ask, who do you, who do you place your hope in, right? So who do you, you know, what do you hope for in your life? You know, and who do you place your hope in? Because if you put your hope in yourself or in other people, you can kind of just go right back up to the list of failures because people are going to fail you, Right? And they're going to they're gonna let you down in some way, shape, or form. Just like you are going to let them down. It, it's the way it works. So get ready for the, the bad parts because we fail. If we put our hope in people, um, in those disappointments, that hurt's going to come. But if you put your hope in Jesus, if you fix your eyes on Jesus... now. Uh, we've spent a lot of time in Hebrews chapter 11, and if you want to flip over to Hebrews chapter 11 with me, you can. Otherwise, you can just sit tight. But if you turn the page to, to Hebrews chapter 12, we, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And all those people that, had, um, that lived a fa- their life in faith in God that we read about fa- by faith Moses and by faith Abraham, and, and God sustained them, and God blessed them. And we also remember a, a big part of those people's lives were what? They weren't perfect either. They were actually a huge mess. That David, who's by faith, he was an adulterer, right? Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife just so he could stay alive. Uh, more recently to these people in Hebrews, they would have remembered Paul. He, mur- he killed Christians for a living, so none of them are perfect. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we learn about so many that live by faith and, and what it means to do, to do that. And, and how uh, at the very beginning of chapter 12, we turn the page and um, we find out that this cloud of witnesses, it's just those people, the Abrahams and the Moseses and, and, uh, of the world, that, that we can follow their example. And you are the cloud of witnesses for people today that, that we can lean on with the testimony of what your lives look like. And it says in, in verse 2 that we can fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. (coughs) Excuse me. 
Jesus endured, he endured what we've all endured. He's been tempted all the ways that we can be tempted, right? No, he didn't have a screen in front of him that would tempt him with whatever...